Welcome to the Planet Laundry Podcast. In this edition of the podcast, we chat with Alex Smirznak, the co-founder and CEO of the Laundry Lab franchise and the 2U Laundry Pickup and Delivery Service. Alex discusses his company's laundromat franchise concept, as well as the business's pickup and delivery model. He also shares his thoughts on recently being elected to the Coin Laundry Association's Board of Directors, along with what he thinks are some of the leading issues facing today's laundromat owners. The Planet Laundry Podcast is brought to you by Planet Laundry, the magazine of the Coin Laundry Association. This is the Planet Laundry Podcast. Uh, My name is Bob Neiman, and I'm the editor of Planet Laundry Magazine. Today, I'm with Alex Smirznak, the co-founder and CEO of Launder Lab and 2U Laundry. Launder Lab is a fast-growing laundromat franchise concept with several owners and investors already signed on. Uh, and 2U Laundry is the company's separate laundry pickup and delivery model. Coming off of this past summer's clean show, two of the most widely talked about developments in the industry have been franchising and residential pickup and delivery. Uh, and Alex, you're heavily involved with both of those. And, and and I might add that you're also one of the newest members of the Coin Laundry Association's Board of Directors. So you're, you're a busy guy. Hey, thanks for making time to be here today. Of course, happy to be here. Um, clearly, I love the industry and, and, and can't stay away from it. So any opportunity <laughs> to share what we're doing and learn right. from others, hopefully, you know, give nuggets to others, you know, always, always you know, game to do it. Right, right. Well, hey, I'm thrilled to talk to you today about, uh, especially about laundry franchising and, and where you see it standing today, uh, as well as um, residential pickup and delivery, which has been obviously growing by leaps and bounds. But if you will, let's just take a step back and if you could share some of the history and background of the company, uh, I believe everything started around 2016 with 2U Laundry. So if you could just kind of begin there and, and, and where does that story take us? Yeah, no, I'd love to share. And actually, my you know soiree in the laundry started in college for me. So even back to okay. 2000, 2010. So I you know I always get asked why why laundry? How did you get into this? And so for me, it was college. Went to Wake Forest, um, you know, Demon Deacons, and I worked a job my freshman year for a student run laundry and dry cleaning delivery business. And I fell in love with it. I thought, hey, this could work at Duke, Chapel Hill, Vanderbilt, all these other schools. I want to buy it. And so I had two grand, three grand saved up. I went to the owners and said, hey, I want to buy it. And they said, we're going to probably sell it for 30000 You know, my 19-year-old jaw hit the floor. I <laughs> most, most, most money I'd ever heard of. And they, thankfully, I found two par- partners. We bought the business, ended up scaling it pretty tremendously at Wake, sold it, Everyone wanted to go do their big boy job and you know, go do banking or marketing. And right. um, so, we, so we sold. I moved down to Charlotte, North Carolina, did consulting for two years there at, at Ernst & Young and saw two companies on the West Coast. that I'm sure you know, a lot of listeners you know, heard of in, in the past. It was Washio and Rinse. Right. Big names. They had raised $30 million to go after the $45 billion laundry and dry cleaning industry in the U.S., and I sat there and I watched that happen and I thought, I hate that. You know, I, I don't like the underlying business model. It's Uber for laundry. You know, I think us as consumers, we have clothes we can wear tomorrow, the day after tomorrow. It's not so much about speed and you know, the Uberization of it. It's more about convenience. People just don't want to do it. And when they do send it out, they want it to come back at a high, high level of quality. And so I thought, I'm going to hate myself if I turn 30, 40, 50 years old and just don't go after this with, with everything that I've got. So I quit my job at EY and started 2U Laundry in January of 16, which was a 
tech enabled pickup and delivery, you know, residential uh, pickup and delivery business that started here in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And it's just evolved since. I mean, there's there's been a ton, tons of iterations and learnings. You know, I think doing the business in college is a lot different than in a, a city of two and a half million people. It's a, a much different <laughs> scale and challenges. Right. You know, so we had a lot of ups and downs and you know learnings you know, throughout that journey that you know, I'd be happy to share. Or if you have you know, another direction you want me to go to, happy to happy to to go either way. Yeah, no, I'd I'd love to see how that developed and then where Laundry Lab finally fits into the picture. Was that closer to around COVID time, or how did how did that how did that evolve? How did everything evolve together? Because it's an interesting business model. Yep. Yeah. So I'll connect the dots. So. Laundry Lab was as a you know, result of COVID, but how we even got to that point. So when we had launched 2U in 16, we thought it was going to be millennials, busy professionals, you know, bankers, consultants, et cetera, using it. And very quickly were proven wrong. It was 75% you know, ish plus dual income families with kids, predominantly women ages 35 to 43, two kids. The last thing that family wants to do when they get home from work is more work. They're using grocery delivery. Someone comes and cuts the grass and laundry was that never ending pain point that they were constantly doing, especially with you know, active families and, and kids. And so that took off in Charlotte with these you know, moms and parents posting in Facebook groups, hey, you gotta check this out. It's the hack of the year, get your time back. And it just took off. We grew to, I think it was 80, 85,000 in monthly revenue very quickly. And the way we were doing the cleaning was the dry cleaning we would bring to you know, wholesale operators. Instead of the drop stores, we'd go right to the plants. They would facilitate all the dry cleaning for us. You know, really great to work with, professional staff of 15 plus, good process and good technology. On the laundry side, you know, as, as, as a lot of people know, you're either doing laundry at home or you're going to a laundromat. There's not really this like in-between service, at least not outside of New York, Chicago, you know, those major, mm -hmm. major metros. Right. And at least not a highly used one. I mean, dry cleaners would offer it. You know, a few places would offer, you know, drop off. But for the most part, families are doing it at home or at a, at a laundromat. And so we didn't really have the same wholesale supply chain that we did on the dry cleaning side. So we would work with, you know, mom and pop coin laundromat owners to, to clean all the volume for us. And the issue that we ran into eventually was Washio goes out of business after raising $20 million to go do this, you know, Uber for laundry model. Right. And... We wanted to learn from that. We had reasons we thought they would fail, why it was different than what we were doing, but we wanted to hear it from them you know, directly. So we called the founders of Washio. We talked to their you know, their big investors and they'd shared, here's what went well, here's what went wrong. It was really, really awesome experience to see that they were willing to do that and spend that time with us. And the two things that they shared that jumped out to us was the on-demand model just doesn't make, you know, doesn't make sense. You're not going to make money without having to charge customers an arm and a leg to do it because it's you know, the driver to Bob's house, Bob's to a dry cleaner, then to a laundromat. Cleaning happens you know, over some period of time. Then driver goes back to the dry cleaner, back to the laundromat, back to Bob's house. It's just way many, way more logistical steps than food, food delivery or ride sharing is. And so you can't Uberize it. You can't do this gig, you know, approach to pick up and deliver. You need, you need to do a FedEx or UPS uh, route based approach where you go into Bob's neighborhood and you can pick up 40 orders all at once, way more efficient route density, go back to the facilities then. So we felt validated there. Washio said they were losing, it was like negative 28% gross margins on, on their orders. We were positive, you know, 30 plus, and we're nowhere near scale, didn't own our own stores and we're already you know, in a decent spot, still thin, but right side is zero and headed in the right direction. The second thing that caused us to course correct was 
they said the quality control on the wash dry fold side of the business, they just couldn't figure out. And the reason being was that those dry cleaning wholesale you know, operators, they're operators. They're in there every day. They're, they've managed teams of people. They're used to tech and process. And what WashU had learned the hard way, they raised all, raised all that money, went to Boston, D.C., you know, Chicago, et cetera. And they had six or seven you know, kind of 1,500 to 2,000 square foot laundromat partners in each city. So there's 40, 50 of them across the country. And not all operators were this way, but a lot of them, you know, hadn't managed a team of, you know, more than a hand, small handful. And now they're managing 15 or so employees. They weren't using a ton of technology at the time. And now Washio is saying you have to use all this technology. And then laundromats aren't really designed for this much volume. They were bringing thousands and thousands of pounds a day, but it's a 1500 square foot place. There's just not a lot of infrastructure and space to do it. And so they ended up having a huge quality control issue, lots of orders going missing, years clothes getting mixed with mine, clothes getting damaged. So that coupled with the margins, they shut it down. And the reason I share all of that is it was very pivotal for our story. We were about to go launch Raleigh, a second city. And instead we said, we need to nail it in Charlotte. Let's not get to it in front of our skis. Let's you know, be disciplined and, and, and kind of really perfect this in Charlotte. And what we noticed was, you know, majority of laundromats revenues generated on the weekends, Monday through Friday, a lot of the equipment's just kind of sitting there and you're not as utilized as it could be. And so we went back to the owners and said, hey, look, you don't want to you know, be here managing a bunch of people. You, just, you, know, you want the additional revenue, though. Why don't we hire our own teams to come into your store and we'll rent out your equipment, basically. And, you know, you're happy for more revenue. We're happy with the control without having to buy a store and customers get a better experience. So we did that for about 10 months. Quality shoots shoots up, costs, you know, we, we, we cut a little bit. We're all high five and, hey, I think we figured out a good model here. Right. <laughs> uh, raised, raised some money from investors in 2017, launched Atlanta in January of 18. At this point, we have four laundromats in Charlotte that we're working with. And that starts to create a new hurdle and challenges. You know, some stores are 1,500 square feet, some are four, some have 20-year-old equipment, some have new you know, some have owners that love what we're doing. Others are like, hey, your team's using my bathroom too much. I got to charge you for toilet paper. And, you know, they're, 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 <laughs> even though we're bringing right. additional all those things, right? Like, I don't, yeah. All this stuff. And so we, we thought, all right, we need to vertically integrate. We have to own our own stores. We have to build these bigger facilities, different machine mix, a lot of, you know, stuff that was specific to the pickup and delivery component. And, but we're still not bankable. You know, we're, we're, we're spending money on technology. The bank doesn't want to finance us. We don't want to use investor money to build these. How do we build one? And that's when we just have a stroke of luck and right timing. Electrolux, they're an $18 billion you know, equipment manufacturer. Their North American headquarters happens to be in Charlotte. And we, you know, we started a relationship with them. And you know, they come in and are like, look, you guys have $2.5 million worth of pickup and delivery volume. You should build your own stores. We're like, we're glad you, you glad you said that. We'd love to do it. You know, we just need a finance partner. And so they were willing to, to kind of take a bet on us, helped us finance our first store where banks wouldn't. And so we built a 6,300 square foot. Uh, it was a former McDonald's facility here in Charlotte that was going to be open to the public seven days a week. But then Monday through Friday, we'd shut down half of the store to process all the pickup and delivery volume. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so that was the, you know, our getting into the brick and mortar business and it we loved it we weren't sure what to expect on the walk-in side because we'd never done it before um, at least not in this business specifically and uh, you know people flock to it we built you know this beautiful store clean safe tons of cameras fully attended amenities kids play area lounge area just all this stuff and people you know flock to it 
And we thought, okay, wow, we were kind of just doing this for the two you pickup and delivery piece, but hey, this whole other revenue stream from a, a customer that might not ever use to you now can come to the same equipment. And now we're cleaning two different customer bases out of the same, same asset base. This is amazing. So we, you know, we're like, how do we do more of these? We get under contract on a 10,000 square foot store in Atlanta. We raised more money from investors, launched Raleigh in January of 2020. And that brings us to COVID-19 and where Laundry Lab starts to you know, come into the story. Our, our board of directors had just incredible foresight. They said in mid-January, it's not a matter of if, you know, it's, it's when. And if we look at where it originated you know, in, in, in East Asia, this is going to be at least an eight-month thing. They're eight months into it and they're still locked down. They're still shut down. So when it gets here, it's going to be at least eight months. And they called that in January when I, I don't know, I try to myself in January. I was like, oh, it's over there. It's in Europe. It's in Asia. It's not, it's not here yet. We're, let's just keep kind of business as usual. And they thought, no, dry cleaning is going to go to zero. People aren't going to go into the offices. So you know, th- th- expect that business to, to completely tank for a few months. We don't know what pickup and delivery laundry is going to do. Maybe people are at home now. They don't need the service. Uh, who knows? That could get hit as well. Laundromats, we're not sure. Did, did they get shut down? We just weren't sure what was going to happen. And so their advice was, this is going to become a cash preservation game. Shut any business down that's not profitable. That like Raleigh, for example, we just launched. It was going to take you know eight to 12 months to get profitable. So shut Raleigh down. We're about to build a building in Atlanta. You know, pulled out of that contract. Said we don't want to spend money on a building if, if there's risk. You know, A lot more risk than we expected. And sure enough, March comes, March 2020. Businesses shut down. Food, fitness, most of the retail is down 20, 30 plus percent. And the board at that point gave us you know, even more advice. It was good advice. It was, you have this once in a multi-century opportunity to double down on the parts of your business that were working, shy away from the ones that weren't, you know, really reset and, and, and recalibrate. And so we did just that. Do we build software for laundromats and dry cleaners? Do we use our fleet of vehicles and delivery technology that we've built to pick up and deliver other things? Do we build more stores? Do we franchise? Do we? So we looked at it all. And the two themes that we kept coming back to were this laundromat performs incredibly well. Even in COVID, it was deemed essential in all 50 states. You know, we grew 22% for the first six months of COVID when most retail was down. We need to build more laundromats. These is a great business, but they're expensive. You know, equipment's a lot. Uh, there's you know, a lot of plumbing, electrical improvements. How do we build a lot of these fast was, you know, was a, I think we needed to figure out. And then the second theme was, you know, there's a lot of hourly labor that we have with this business. There's delivery drivers, there's front of the house attendants, back of the house processors. How do we break up some of the labor you know, headache that comes with it as well? And that's where franchising came in is, hey, we could bring partners on that have capital to build their stores. We can, can provide, you know, Bulk purchasing power with vendors of you know of all sorts you know labor etc for for the building of the stores, so that's the value that we can provide site selection you know data driven site selection branding, four million dollars of tech that we had built at that point. But the big kicker was we have this whole pickup and delivery business. We could just keep bringing them all the volume, another three hundred thousand to five hundred thousand per store in revenue a year. That's a huge value add for you know you know a franchisee. And it solves our, our labor problem. We're, we're managing the drivers, the customer acquisition, the customer care. They just have to manage as soon as the bags cross into their stores. They just have to clean more clothes, just like McDonald's has to make more burgers when they have a, an on-demand you know, delivery order that comes from Postmates or Uber Eats. It's like, okay, we could, we could do something similar here. And so we start exploring it. 
talk to all these franchisors, the founders of great clips, sport clips, all these you know, amazing franchise brands. They're like, do this, don't do that. Here's how you should structure your, your, your business. And we launched Laundra Lab in, the, in March of 2021. Mm-hmm. And the idea was exactly what I just shared is, you know, hey, we'll franchise the, the four wall business and we'll provide all sorts of support with to you and everything else to, 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 to create value. Right. And our goal last year was to sell 17 licenses and we ended up selling 38 last year. We've sold a total of 99 at this point or, you know, looking for lucky number 100 right now. <laughs> right. Got three stores open, five more opening by the end of the year, and then should open 21 stores plus next year. Right. Right. Well, I mean, it's been a fascinating journey and, and all the different, uh, just the, the evolution of this, of this business and uh, actually several businesses and just the iteration. So uh, thanks for bringing me up to speed on that. Are you, even you surprised at the growth of the Laundra Lab brand concept? Again, like you said, you're, I, I, I read somewhere maybe a month ago that the goal was 100 licenses by the end of the year. And as you say, you're, you're at 99. So it looks like you're going to make it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that sounds like incredibly quick growth to me. Is that is that correct? And are you surprised by that at all? Totally surprised. I mean, it's for a franchise brand, the first year they usually do you know a couple licenses. They, you know, they sell two or three and the next the year after maybe you know, 10 to 20 and then 30, 40. And to be at a spot where we're, you know, we're, we've almost sold a hundred and you know, less than you know, two years, but almost, you know, almost 18 months at this point, uh, we're shocked by, it. I think people love the you know, p- you know, potentially passive nature of it's just the laundry lab piece. You know, they love the two U piece layered on top. We're attracting, you know, really amazing operators into the space, which we're happy about as well. I mean, we've got you know, franchisee that owns 57 McDonald's. He's coming in and you know building 10 stores with us. We've got another 13-unit McDonald's owner, 11-unit Planet Fitness franchisee coming in. So we're bringing a lot of really good operators. You know that have teams that have you know multi-unit operational experience into the space, and you know, that's what I think we're really excited about. Well, Alex, what's what's behind that? I mean, from a franchisee's perspective, what are the main advantages of of the Laundry Lab model that's you know growing this concept? Yep. So I think I, I break it into you kind of three categories. The first one is just being you know, the bulk purchasing power and just you know shared knowledge that we have, and that's kind of into one bucket is that the the group, the strength of the group, I guess. So that comes as in the form of discounts, but also all that knowledge transfer, site selection, training materials, design elements, uh, all the stuff that goes into the. I think the table stakes of any franchise brand has to have is you know McDonald's can get you meat for way cheaper, they can get you equipment for way cheaper, they can help with site selection, they can help with the brand, the menu, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the table stakes bucket for me is we have to have at least that at a minimum. The second big piece is we've invested we $4, uh, $4 million into technology pickup and delivery, but also how do you facilitate thousands of pounds being cleaned a day by 15-ish different people, different preferences are had across the board. How do you do that in a way that's profitable and maintains quality at the same time? And so we've created a ton of uh, gamification in our technology where our, sol- our sorter, our folder it's still work, of course, but they're also incentivized with rewards. You know, how fast they go while also maintaining quality. They have to take pictures and the pictures have to match, you know, what a bag should look like and what a fold should look like when it's done. And so there's this kind of belt and suspenders approach to speed, but also having quality. And so all that technology is another, I think, big reason why franchisees are attracted to working with us. And then I think the last and the biggest bucket is, again, the additional revenue stream. Franchising is all about 
what are you doing for me lately? Right. You know, it's a laundromat, a typical laundromat. Once it's open, a lot of it's kind of set it and forget it. Of course, there's machine maintenance. And if you are attended, you've got staff that you have to maintain. Other than that, you know, kind of smooth sailing a little bit, a little bit of marketing here and there. But, you know, in year five, what's the value of a franchise? You know, and that's where two of you answers that question for us of the, you know, what are you doing for me lately? And the answer is we're bringing you half a million dollars a year in revenue every year, pickup and delivery. You don't have to go out and acquire it. You don't have to go out and, you know, manage vehicle drivers, this whole other additional layer of complexity, customer support when they're calling to complain about the stain you couldn't get out or the you know, the shirt that wasn't folded how they wanted. We, you know, we interface that. We then work with you. You know, say, hey, this past month, Bob, you had 10 complaints, 60% of them were folding related. Let's you know, send a, a, a trainer in to come you know, retrain your staff on all the folding process. And so that's the value. I mean, that's the value over time is, is the additional revenue and the technology. And then you know, again, upfront the group, the strengths of the group. Right, right. Well, I've noticed that there's, you mentioned three core values that are cited actually on your website for the Laundry Lab model. Uh, and that's uh, accountability, community, and excellence. And I was wondering if you could take me through those and maybe provide some examples of what exactly that means. Maybe just elaborate on those three core values of, of, the, of the franchise model, please. Yeah, absolutely. So Dan and I, when we started, so I was at Ernst & Young before, and I remember I drank the Kool-Aid during orientation, and I loved all the values of the business. And I remember thinking, you know, I think at the time it was Vision 2020, and it was building a better working world. So even, even now, it, you know, 10 years later, I remember it. And I was on my, my first engagement. Something came up where it was relevant to talk about. And I remember asking my senior manager at the time, hey, you, you, what, did you, what do you think about the, you know, the big, you know, EY's big mission and vision right now and you know, how it ties into what we're doing? And he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, building a better right. world. And at that point, I realized, oh, I drank the Kool-Aid. And I think this is one of those things people don't talk about, you know, six months after you go through orientation. It's kind of just, right. you know, it's part of the, you know, the check the box type of thing. And again, I love DUI. I don't mean that to, it was just that one individual that I think wasn't, you know, super up to speed on it. And I told myself at that point, if we ever build a company and there's core values, I'm going to make them simple, easy to remember, and something worthwhile to talk about. <laughs> and so, so Dan and I went in and said, okay, this should be short, you know, three or less, easy to remember, but impactful. Three, you know, you know, really strong and, and things that are relatable that you can remember. And so accountability, community excellence, it, you know, acronym is ACE. You can remember ACE. It's, it's one of these three letters. You know, it's a word that has one of these three starting letters. For us, it mattered so much because accountability, I think, is so important to building a good business, doing right by customers, by right by your employees. And I think a lot of people view accountability as conflict. They don't want to address you know the issue that Bob might have had or Bob's store or Bob's team or Bob himself because it's, oh, I don't want to confront him. It's uncomfortable. It's, it's awkward now. And, and, and I think, again, it's mistakenly labeled as conflict when it should be accountability as long as your intentions are good. If your intentions are we want to be excellent, and so it ties into our excellence one. Then it's okay to call Bob out. And we're just trying to you know, help each other out and, and make each other better. And so our caveat with accountability is: hey, healthy confrontation. As long as you're not being an asshole, you can confront people and you know and, and have those candid conversations. So that's that's accountability to us. Community. I wish I could have. You know, I wish I could say that this was pre-designed, premeditated. We knew community was always going to be at our core. But it wasn't until we built that first store that I shared earlier that this really jumped out at me. I grew up in a small town in Minnesota, was fortunate enough to have you know, been born into a family that 
food, you know, the next meal on our table wasn't a question. Having access to laundry equipment was never a question. So a pretty good, you know, good upbringing in life. And we built this store and during our grand opening, Electrolux gave us a number of appliances to give away, you know, for, you know, give, you know, pr promotional things for the grand opening. And I remember this one woman won a air purifier and she was so excited, you know, opening it over her head, you know, jumping around, dancing. I was like, oh, that's really cool. And she goes and puts it in her car and she comes back to me and just sobbing. Waterworks. Wow. Yeah. Latches, latches on to me. I thought someone took the air purifier or she got the uh, something <laughs> in their wall or something. I was like, what, yeah. what happened? Are you okay? And as she collected herself, she's like, no, I just want to, I just want to thank you guys. No one ever builds anything nice for us. And I start crying because I just like those word choice stuck out to me. She pointed to businesses across the street, bars on the window, trash in the parking lot. There's a, a public bus station right there. And I was just, I, it really hit me that there's a whole other part of the population that lives a completely different life than I, I did growing up that were Absolutely. less you know, lucky, fortunate, made mistakes, whatever it was that put them in that predicament. It's, it's still not great. And realizing that something as simple as a laundromat made this, this woman's day and made her feel like this is something I can be proud of and come to and feel like a human being instead of a second-class citizen. Right. Making that difference. Absolutely. Yeah. And so community at that point stuck uh, from that moment. We didn't have our core values at that time. And so that was the moment when it was like, all right, community's got to be at what we're doing. We spend a little bit more to build nicer stores, updated stores, refreshed stores. You're going to spend more, but it'll pay itself back 10 times over because that customer base is incredibly loyal. They appreciate you. It's a mutual respect that you have. Of course, you're always going to get a few bad apples that come in and you cause a ruckus. But the majority are incredibly appreciative, great people that, you know, they see the attention and the detail that you put in and they want to build a sense of community at your stores. And so that's hugely important to us. Uh, and again, small things. You have to, at the end of the day, you're running a profitable business. You have to do well as you know, you know, from a financial perspective, first and foremost, so that you can continue to reinvest and build more of these in the community. And then the last one is excellence. If we're going to do something, we might as well be really damn good at it. And so we always hold ourselves, and this is where accountability comes in, accountable to excellence. And so if you know, Dan and I have a, a meeting, if Dan, you know, Dan's my business partner, if we're looking at a site in Atlanta or you know, whatever it may be, we are always debriefing on what could have been better there. What did we miss? What data did we not have available available that we should have? You know, what interaction, you know, what thing did I say that I could have said more clearly, constantly just that growth mindset of better, 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 better. How do we become excellent? Right. Perfect. Perfect. Well, hey, what, what types of requirements are required for a um, prospective franchisee? What, what requirements must they meet to be a Launder Lab franchisee? Yep. So a lot of it, I mean, as, as you know, laundromats can be expensive to build mm -hmm. and you have to buy the equipment and in many cases, personally guaranteed various loans. And so we look for someone that has a you know, really good balance sheet, you know, personal financial statement. We're looking for half a million plus in liquidity. I believe it's, and I should know this like the back of my hand, but Dan does all the sales. Uh, two, two million, I believe, in, in net worth with half a million in liquidity. So we, we set a higher bar just because we want to make sure that someone's coming into this. You know, this isn't going to be life or death. You know, we, we want to have someone that has the financial backing to be able to do this and, and to do it well. So that's a, a, from a finance perspective, that's a big piece more mm -hmm. or just as important 
is the type of person. We go through a mutual interview process. They're vetting us. We're vetting them. We spend multiple calls together. And then finally, an in-person where it's a dinner the night before. We're getting to know, you know, your, what about you as an individual, your family? Where are you from? What are your hobbies, passions, interests, et cetera? And then that next day, they see everything, this, the machines, the technology. They meet the entire team that we've built out to support them. And everyone, again, is kind of interviewing both ways. Our team is, hey, when they leave, when the, you know, when the prospective candidates leave, we're all talking. Would you like to work with, you know, could you see yourself working with Bob for 10 years? Because this is a 10-year commitment at a minimum. And so it's a marriage. And we, we, we treat it that way and you know, make sure that everyone that we're bringing in is going to provide value to the network, to the, the franchise system. Because that's, again, the part, of, part of the value of people coming in is they're working with other incredibly sharp, incredibly sophisticated individuals. And vice versa, they're interviewing us. Do these guys know what they're talking about? Are they going to provide me value? Are they going to deliver on the things that they said they right. were going to do? Um, right. And so that, that that looks like the process and the the, you know, the requirements that we have on the the sales right. uh, sales side. Well, hey, as as I'm sure you know, uh, the, the franchise model hasn't worked particularly well in in the laundromat industry, at least in the past. What's different now, and and, and why do you think this concept will be successful where maybe others have failed in the past? Yep. I think in two buckets that one is just, I think the advent of technology getting to a point. I've, I talked to a few really large scale, you know, laundromat operators and that some of the groups that tried to go public in the past was that, Hey, there's kind of diseconomies of scale, the bigger you get. And this is a corporate you know chain instead mm-hmm. of a franchise, but the bigger right. you get, there's diseconomies of scale, all these you know overhead, regional managers, national manager, Brinks trucks going to all these locations versus if you're one operator that owns three or four, you know, semi close by in a given market, you get local economies of scale instead of diseconomies of scale. You can have one manager manage all four buildings. You can have that one manager grab all the cash and you don't need a regional manager. You actually get you unlock benefits on a small scale, hyper local scale. And so part of it is, I think, because we're not going national, you know, we're, we're not corporately owning all these stores and having all that overhead. We get to partner with individual small business owners, you know, you know, mom and pop owners, just like what exists today. And so they're getting that local economy to scale by building their stores in a, in a market. The technology piece is what allows, I think, the ability to manage people, manage multiple stores, health of machines, health of stores a lot more effectively for a franchisee than you could in the past before when it was all done paper and having to run from each store to collect all the quarters. It just added a lot more time versus digital payments. Now hiring and you know, managing people is a lot easier. And a lot of the tech again that we've built specifically for the laundromat industry supports a, a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's one bucket. The main driver though, is that you need to have the, the whole, you know, what are, what are you doing for me lately? The, what I said earlier, as far as additional revenue that we can provide through the two, you pick up and delivery piece. I think that's really the mm-hmm. key unlock and differentiator between what we're doing and what's been done in the past. Right. Very good. Very good. What can a franchiser do for a laundromat owner operator that maybe a distributor can't do? Yep. And so I don't know if that's a fair question or not, but, um, no, no, yeah. totally fair. I, I think, you know, in any business, whether it's laundromats or XYZ widget or, you know, you know, computer processing, you know, equipment, whatever it may, you know, may be, there's always this different incentives, right? Everyone's got different motives and, and, and incentives that they're going after. And so we work with all, you know, distributors nationwide for all of our franchisees, every distributor in every state and you know, region we're working with. And, you know, there is a lot of, of a partnership that happens. I think the difference between a franchisor and a you know, distributor is just the incentives. Again, at the end of the day, a distributor is, you know, is wanting to sell equipment, is wanting to service that equipment and you know, get stores open. We want to we want to get stores open as well. And so we're aligned on, on that piece. The, the 
slight difference is that you know we're we have a vested interest in this franchisee over 10 plus years where we need every week the store to be performing well and we're in there with marketing and training whereas the distributors you know, might say hey let's get the equipment in and i'll be here for service but outside of that you know they're they need they're, they're running a business they have to focus on their core business which is selling and servicing equipment our core business is making sure that these operators are you know have a, a hand to hold every step of the way outside you know, beyond the installation and service of the equipment. And so that that's a big differentiator, but we all get an overlap in a lot of ways. And that's, to, we, we want to get a lot of stores open. We want, to, we want to buy equipment from them. We want to put it in our franchisee stores and we want them to be serviced. And so there's a lot of overlap. Franchising just adds an additional layer of, hey, we need to make sure this is the right site. We need to uh, make sure the staffing model, machine mix, 2U volume tech, all that piece that gets rolled in. Right. Th- those are great points and great, uh, great differentiators. Absolutely. Well, hey, Alex, in general, what's the biggest misconception that you hear about laundromat franchises? I, I if think you, if you've from, heard any, I don't know. Yeah, no, of course. I think it is not taboo, but it's, you know, it's, hey, this is, this has been tried. It hasn't worked, you know, you know kind of, especially from folks that have been in the street, industry for a while and they have valid reasons to, to, to believe that and, and, and feel that way. And so I think, you know, my response is typically like, I agree. If we weren't providing value beyond year two, we shouldn't be doing it. What's the point? It's just, it's going to be a house of cards that falls down and the franchisees get upset. They don't build their second store, or their third store. We have to push ourselves as a franchisor to continue to provide value constantly. Otherwise, why would you do it? And so that's my, my response usually is, hey, we need to make sure that we're building innovative technology solutions that make your life as an operator easier. If you're in there 15 hours a week now, can we get it down to five through technology? That's a, you know, that's a value add. If you're dealing with all these you know, quarter counting and other things, can we go digital but save you money even if there's a processing fee? I don't know. Is that possible? Can we provide other revenue streams for you, commercial accounts, pickup and delivery accounts? And so you're constantly pushing that envelope of, again, how do we be excellent and how do we provide value constantly? Hey, shifting gears a little bit to a residential uh, pickup and delivery, because again, that was kind of where the business started. And uh, again, as you mentioned, it's it's a big differentiator for the Laundry Lab model as well, that that piece, that pickup and delivery piece. Do you see that segment of the laundromat industry growing, especially as the economy starts to tighten? Yeah, I think it is. And so one, and a, a couple of reasons why. One is Procter and Gamble, you know, largest laundry brand in the world, with, with Tide and and you know, Gain and the other brands that they have. I was you know very close with the CEO of Tide Cleaners, who managed their um, their services business, not Tide the brand, but their dry cleaners, their laundromat concepts, they're testing out their university product of Tide University. And I asked, you know, why is P and G doing this? Why are they getting into dry cleaning and laundromats? And you know, what what is it? And their response was, and this this kind of made it click for me. I already believed in the space and where I was going, but this you know, really validated it. Was P and G is this, you know, you know Tide especially is a multi billion dollar brand. You know, we own I think it's ninety plus percent market share of, of detergents. It's in, it's insane how much they own of it. And they're like, our growth as a brand is not going to be more you know, shelf space or more market share. Every incremental dollar we spend on marketing, we're, we're not going to get much more out of this space. Their sole belief is that the biggest growth opportunity for laundry in general and for their brands especially is what they call out-of-home laundry. And that is laundromats and that is pickup and delivery wash dry fold. 
So how do they capture everything? And so when you hear that, I mean, I, I completely, I don't think it, it doesn't cannibalize existing laundromats at all. It's purely additive. It's, it's getting a customer base that would not step foot in a laundromat typically because they have a washer and dryer who want to use this purely out of convenience and to save time. And so when you ask about the economy, I, I mean, it's a question that we get asked a lot too, is, you know, how, how impacted are you? I think the upper class, you know, upper and upper middle classes are less impacted by recessions than you know, the lower middle classes are. And those families are going to continue to remain busy. They're going to continue to not want to cut their grass, you know, shop for their groceries, go to the store. And they're going to continue to use Amazon. I, I do think we're impacted, just not to a detrimental degree. I think we lose our you know, bottom 20 percent of customers that are like, look, this is we got to trim a little bit. The, you know, the, the household budget, you know, one of the uh, husband or wife lost their job and we're going to do our laundry on our own for a while. But I think the majority of the customer base stays. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Perfect. Hey, what, what are some common mistakes that operators need to avoid with their pickup and delivery operations? I mean, you've been doing this for several years now. So what are, what are some common things that you see? Maybe you've done them yourself, but what, what are some, uh, some, some common mistakes to really some pitfalls to avoid? Yep. So I, I don't think they charge enough. You, got, you, you, know, you have to charge, make sure you're charging enough to cover your costs and realize this, the value of the service that you're providing. Again, route-based delivery versus on-demand is, I think, a must. You cannot afford and your customers are not going to... I mean, I see a lot of these businesses now doing integrations with you know, Uber Eats and Postmates and the other gig deliveries, and they're passing that cost through to the customer, which so you know, it doesn't really impact their margin. But the, the analogy that I use is when I go to use a Postmates or a DoorDash, and, you know, the burger that I'm going to get or whatever is $10, and then the delivery fee is also $10, and I've now doubled the cost of this it's just that's to me is not sustainable it has use cases where you know maybe you're feeling exceptionally lazy or you you, you whatever it may be there's something's going on where you just can't you got an injury and you can't go anywhere and you don't want to cook and so you, you there's instances but is it a, a thing that people would change their behavior to do constantly and i don't think so i'm not using postmates every day and paying a ten dollar delivery fee and i think the same thing is true with laundry you have to change people's behavior and by doubling the cost of what they would expect, it's just too high of a barrier. So I think we as operators have to continually push the limit of how do we deliver a high quality product at a, at a reasonable price. And so I think you have to do route based versus on demand. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, any, anything else? Any other uh, pickup and delivery uh, advice, strategies, tips, uh, nuggets to share? We've got delivery. We've got price. The, I think we the- covered it. Yeah, I think we, the, the last thing I guess I would say is just processing, how you process the clothes. And again, just like delivery, finding the most efficient way to do it. And so specialization we've found to work really well. The gamification of the apps and you know, of, of what folks are doing is, is also really helpful. Very good. Very good. Well, hey, as I mentioned at the at the outside, you are one of the uh, newest members of the uh, CLA's board of directors. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Please, can you share what it, what interested you in in serving on the board? Yep. So, I mean, I again, clearly can't stay away from the industry. Uh, did it in college, thought I was done, came back and you know, now, now trying to, you know, two different concepts here. And I just am fascinated by it. It's a huge industry. It's a massive, basic human need, right? Like we all have to have clean clothes. I mean, so I think one of the first decisions we all make every day, whether it's subconscious or conscious, what am I going to wear today? What do I look the best in, feel the best in, et cetera. And so I, you know, the industry as a whole, I just love and want to be a part of it. And I think, you know, how can I help 
you know, shape the direction we're headed? How do I create resources you know, and value for incoming operators, whether they're franchisees or not? You know, it, it's it's an amazing industry, and I think it is ready for you know a little bit of not necessarily innovation, but kind of you know a, a facelift, if you will. It's just you know it's ready to be brought into you know modern era, and I, I think being a part of that would be a lot of fun and yeah. know, provide value and hopefully learn in the process of doing it, learn from the the legacy operators as well. Do you have any specific goals for for the association uh, as well as for the industry in general during your term on the on the board? Yep, yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that I really want to do is, and, and this goes almost back to that story I shared about the customer who you know, had, had a, a, an emotional experience at our grand opening, was putting that end customer in mind. In this case, the CLA CLA's customers in my mind are new new operators, distributors, and manufacturers to a degree. But I think really, how do you you know it's the industry as a whole and, and who are the industry's customers? They're laundromat operators. And so championing all of the operators and, and again, using that group to make sure that the CLA is providing the most value that it possibly can to those, those that, that group. And so surveying them, talking to them, listening, hey, what is your biggest pain point as an operator? Is it financing? Is it site selection data? And you know, making sure that you, 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 you nail the right, the right spot. Is it customer acquisition? Is it technology? What, what are those things? And so... I have opinions and, and you know assumptions on what I think the answers are going to be, but until we talk to the, and we're actually going through the exercise now, of, hey, let's go talk to as many operators as we can to see what it is exactly that they want. It might turn out they all want consulting. That might be what it is. All right, we need to build a consulting arm. Then CLA needs to have you know, have a, have an offering there, just like the the Dave Menzies of the world, the Williford, you know, anyone else that's in the industry doing it now. If that's what people want. We need to be doing it. If it's technology, we need to be doing it. If it you know, within re, you know, within within reason, but. That's my hope is to really champion a customer centric, obsessed value proposition. How do we meet people where they are and, and deliver what they say, what they're telling us they need? Right. Well, as part of some of that, uh, I guess, initial research that you're doing, you know, what are some of the leading issues for laundromat owners today? And what, what are the top concerns that you're hearing from them across the country? Yep. So we, we actually just sent the survey out about a week ago, and I think I saw some of the initial responses so a lot of existing operators are interested in, you know, how do we use the association to get uh, discounts on certain supplies that we need, equipment replacement pieces, et cetera. You know, now can we execute on that and deliver it is a, another question to be determined. But, you know, I think people are interested in, you know, inflation, everything's costing a lot more. How do we, you know, how do we, you know, you know combat some of the, the increase in costs? I think other big pieces are, you know, kind of a, a mastermind group, you know, people, want to share learnings more often in a more structured way than I think there is today. The forums, I think, are great you know, on social media, but can there be a, a monthly you know, Zoom meeting or uh, you know, local uh, groups in the various cities or hubs across the country meeting up and just sharing best practices with each other and lessons learned and basically getting the benefit of a franchise system organically through you know, that, that network? Absolutely, uh, that's yeah. Ranked, yeah. That's, that's ranked really high. Another interesting one has been, and I this makes t- complete sense to me as well, is site selection is so important. As you know, you put that equipment in, it is expensive to move, it's expensive to upfit those locations. You got one, you know, you got one bullet in the gun and you better make sure it's you know it's right. And so there's been a lot of emphasis on, hey, you know, I, yeah, I have a good gut for it. I, I I've had ex- you know successful stores, I've had bad stores. But there's so much data available now, there's so much more out there than there ever was, you know. Five years prior, even from now, and can the CLA be 
a massive resource for providing that data, crunching the data, helping us find the, the most successful locations so that out of the gate, that one shot that I have, I have a higher chance of, of hitting. And so that's a big one. Another one is kind of like professional services. So if you have a lawyer because you're looking, you know, you're negotiating a lease, can you leverage a CLA hired attorney to, you know, to do some of that? And that's a, that's a, a value add that you, you get as a member, et cetera. So lo- there's lots of ideas being thrown out and some are you know, bubbling to the top more than, more than others. And um, I'm excited about where it's, where it's headed. Yeah. 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 That's great stuff. Great stuff. Now, personally, what are your business goals? for uh, the end of the remainder of the year into 2023 and beyond. What are you shooting for? Yep. So into next year, you know, we would love to have how many stores? We bought 30 stores open by the end of this, uh, end of next year total. That's really what we're laser focused on is, hey, we've sold a lot of these. That's one part of this. But an even bigger part is we need to execute. We need to deliver. We need to open the stores in the time that us and our franchisees are expecting. We need to open them at the cost they're expecting, at the level of quality that they're expecting. And so, you know, we're uh, candidly bringing on some more capital right now to go hire a pretty big team of experienced individuals in franchising, in laundry, to go provide that value and that support for our franchising. So a lot for me personally is get those 30 stores open, continue to, to, to sell stores as well, layer to you on top of those 30 stores, invest in technology and, and hire the best possible team we can. Very good. Last one for you, Alex, and I really appreciate your time today because I know you're busy and this has been fascinating for me. Just looking to the future, where do you see the biggest opportunities for laundromat operators going forward and, and, and why? Yep. So I think it depends on the type of, of operator. If you're an operator that says, look, I love this for the lifestyle. I love that it's, you know, there's not a ton of employees. There's no inventory. This is a great, mostly passive business for me. I think where those operators can double down on is Experiment with technology tools, things that make it even more passive for you. And you can open a second and a third and be just as busy as you were with one, you know, and and, and, and figuring out ways to leverage a lot of the tools that are being built by, you know, by Sense right now and, you know, and other other software manufacturers that are focused on the space, I think is, are going to provide a huge value to those operators that say, hey, this is the kind of lifestyle I want to have and this is what I want to do. For the operators that are just chomping at the bit, to how do I squeeze you know, every you know bit of revenue out of the store without you know without jeopardizing the customer experience? I think that's where you look to pick up and delivery and commercial accounts. I mean, I, I think there's, I think it's a huge market once you've tapped out or have a you know a really good walk-in business. Build that five thousand square foot, six thousand square foot store. Put two thousand square feet in the back and turn that you know that baby into a manufacturing plant in the back and leverage the same equipment you already have. And, and again, that's for the operator that wants to get in there 30, 40 hours a, a week, or if they're not hiring a store manager to do it, and they've got two or three of them all you know kicking out volume. I really think that's where the biggest opportunity is: is pick up and delivery and commercial accounts, gyms, yoga studios, salons, etc. Perfect. Hey, Alex, that was everything I had. Is there anything maybe I didn't get out there that you'd like to talk about? Uh, anything regarding franchising, pickup and delivery, laundromats, your journey in this? Any Anything that maybe we didn't touch on that you'd like to? No, I think the only I, I have to plug a little bit if, you know, if there's anyone listening that you know, is interested in a franchise or knows someone who is. I mean, feel free to you know, reach out, emails alex at uh, laundrolabusa.com. If anyone's looking for you know work, if you know if anyone listening you know, wants to join what we're building and you know, you know come join the team, we're also hiring a ton of folks right now. And if anyone just has questions, yeah, that, that email again, you know, shoot me anything for any of the above. I'm I'm happy to be a resource and to, to help anyone that's listening. Awesome. 
Hey, Alex, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been great having you today. Likewise. Thank you for having me, Bob. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on our podcast today. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to Planet Laundry at planetlaundry.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube.